Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. The question today is, do the shepherds in the Old Testament foreshadow Jesus, the Good Shepherd? Thank you, Justin, for asking that particular question. It's one perhaps that others out there in uh, our listening world have never really considered. Yes, there are shepherds who are depicted as such in what we call the Old Testament or in Jesus' Hebrew Bible but we're not perhaps familiar with their life or the pattern of their lives. Uh, And so today, uh, in this particular podcast, what I want to do is show you that there is a chain of shepherds in the Old Testament. I call it a chain because I really can't think of a better word. There perhaps is a better way to describe the the, uh, linkage between five men in the Old Testament who all are said to tend sheep. And Well, perhaps this is sort of a new thought. What I want to show you today is that they are all deliberately linked in Scripture. They're all connected to one another through links, various thematic and lexical links, and they ultimately uh, climax in Jesus, the suffering shepherd. We all know that Jesus is a shepherd. He said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That chapter is a wonderful chapter, but it basically is the climax of the five men in the Old Testament who are said to, quote, tend sheep. And to begin this particular episode, I want to go back to Luke 24 on the afternoon after resurrection morning, the familiar story in Luke 24 of Clopas and his companion on their road back home to the village of Emmaus. It occurs, of course, on Sunday afternoon. Jesus has already risen from the dead, and he surreptitiously comes up to them, walking with them without their recognizing him or who he was or his identity, and he engages in conversation with them. Jesus notices that their faces show hopelessness. Uh, Their faces are said to be downcast. And so uh, Jesus asks them what they were talking about. And they look at him in disbelief, like, what? What do you mean? Who are you? (laughs) You must be the only person in Jerusalem who is not aware of what has happened over the weekend. Of course, this is somewhat ironic. As Luke writes this, they're talking about, in fact, the one who's standing in front of them. So they explain that there was this Jesus. He was nailed to a Roman cross. He suffered and died. And they had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They had put all their hopes in him, and now he's dead on a Roman cross, so their hopes are dashed. And so after listening to Clopas and his companion, which is always a wise thing to do first with people, is to listen to them gather information about where they're at, 
ask them for what their feelings are like, how they're thinking about life. Listen to them carefully. Take copious mental notes. Jesus did that. And after he listened to them, he busts into the conversation and put his finger on their problem. He says in verse 25, you foolish people, that's quite a mouthful, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary? That's an important word there, so I stop and focus on it. In the Greek language, it's very small letter, delta, epsilon, iota, which means it is necessary or had, it had to be. Uh, it's the same question that the Philippian jailer, in a sense, asked in Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? Uh, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus has asked a question that when you reflect it in Greek, the answer is yes. You have to answer that question yes. So let's answer it. It was necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer these things, to be killed, and then enter his glory. The chronology here is important. The Messiah would come, but he first had to suffer. And then, then he concludes, then beginning with Moses, that's the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he says that because the prophets in the Old Testament are divided into two sections. It begins with Joshua. They are the former prophets. <clears throat> and then, and that goes all the way through Ezekiel. And then the latter prophets are what we call the minor prophets, the 12. Beginning with Moses, the Pentateuch, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, Clopas and his companion, the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Now, I'm confident that among many other passages that Jesus took them through in the law and the prophets, Jesus showed them the chain of shepherds. Jesus, I'm sure, took them to this chain of shepherds, which I want to talk about today, in order to persuade them that Israel's Messiah first had to suffer. It's when we look at the chain of shepherds made up of men in the Old Testament who were shepherds, each of their lives shows a familiar and common pattern. They suffer before they entered their glory. And so the chain of shepherds, which I want to review with you today, and thank you for listening to this chain story, uh, the chain of shepherds in scripture shows that it was a non-negotiable fact that the Messiah had to suffer. So they should have expected Jesus to suffer. Jesus puts his finger on the problem, didn't he? That's right. He says they were slow to believe. What would have happened if they were quick to believe? What would have happened if they had been quick to believe what they had read in their own Bible, the chain of shepherds? Then Jesus' death, while tragic, would have been understood and accepted with hope. And they would have expected something good to happen after his death. But as we know from this story, they and many others did not expect suffering. So when we put on our canonical glasses, and Justin did indicate that this is a canonical approach, when we put on our canonical glasses, the chain of shepherds just pops into view. It becomes visible to our eyes. And the great thing is, is that the suffering of death, the suffering and death of Jesus, 
begins to make so much sense. Now the chain consists of six links and it begins with Abel in Genesis chapter 4, the brother to Cain, the son of Adam and Eve. It begins with his death and it ultimately finds its fulfillment in the death of Jesus and his resurrection. So what I want to do right now is take you through the chain, but do it link by link. And each of these men, which I will talk about in a very brief way, has a number of elements in their life which are common to the next one. For example, each one of the men in this group are said to quote, 10 sheep. That's an explicit phrase that you will find attached to every one of those characters, whether it's Abel or Jacob or Joseph or Moses or David. They all are said to 10 sheep. The other element which is repeated in every case is that they suffer. They suffer rejection, hatred and malice of that man, of that shepherd by either a family member or from their own people, or sometimes both. And as a result of rejection and hatred, they suffer a period of exile from their family or a period of exile from the people of Israel for a various period of time. Excuse me. And eventually, after the exile is over with, they eventually return. And each return is pictured as a resurrection from the dead. So the chain of shepherds contain men who are shepherds who all suffer, are exiled, and eventually re restored to their people through a type of a resurrection. And so they ultimately foreshadow Jesus, who is the shepherd who was also rejected by his people, rejected by his own family, suffered, died, and for a period of time was unseen, buried in the grave, and then he returns by way of resurrection. Now, the first link in the messianic chain of shepherds is Abel, who is a suffering shepherd. <clears throat> Genesis begins this chain of links with the account of Abel in Genesis 4.2, who is said to tend sheep. He's killed by his brother Cain, and then he's immediately replaced by Seth, the thirdborn son. Seth is the, quote, seed, Selem. He's the seed that replaces Abel in Genesis 4.25. The language used in Genesis 4.25, seed, recalls the verb and the noun used in Genesis 3.15 of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Seth thus represents a restoration a resurrection from the dead, a return in the form of the resurrected Abel. So Seth is a portrait of future younger brothers and future shepherds who will also experience rejection and exile, but eventually return as a type of resurrection. So Abel, pictured in the very first story after entrance of the human race or after of sin's entrance into the human race. I think that is significant. The very first story of the Bible, Genesis 4, verse 1 and following, gives us hope for the cross. It gives us hope 
for a future Messiah. The very first person who suffers death foreshadows Jesus. Clue? He tends sheep. He's rejected by his brother because of hatred and jealousy. But then he's replaced, according to the Hebrew text, by Seth, the seed that replaces Abel. Now let's go to the second link in the messianic chain of suffering shepherds. It's Jacob. Like Jacob, excuse me, like Abel, Jacob is the younger brother of the two, just as Abel was the younger brother of Cain. He also, according to Genesis 30, verse 36, tends sheep. And you know this story well, like me. He suffers hatred by his older brother Esau. And for the sake of his own safety, what did he do? He's forced into exile for a lengthy period of time. But like Abel, who precedes him, Jacob is eventually restored to his family, restored to Esau, and it reminds us of Abel's resurrection through Seth's birth. Jacob, in a sense, returns by way of resurrection. He follows the same trajectory as the pattern of Abel the shepherd. Now let's stop for a minute. Here we have two men, both who tend sheep, both who are rejected, and both have a type of return from exile, a type of resurrection. Do you think two is a coincidence? If you think one is a coincidence, how about two? What about three? What if you have a third character in the Bible who suffers the same pattern? And that's Joseph, of course, the son of Jacob. He also is a suffering shepherd. So I don't need to go into detail too much other than to repeat the common pattern. Genesis 37 verse 2, we are told that Joseph tended sheep. He's favored by a parent, just as Jacob was favored by a parent. Both Jacob and Joseph are exalted above their brothers. And like Abel and Jacob, Joseph suffers and is condemned to exile in Egypt because of fratricidal jealousy. But eventually, after many years, Joseph is also reconciled with his brothers in Egypt, who, like Esau, no longer seek vengeance. And his reunion with his father Jacob is depicted as a resurrection from the dead. Jacob cannot believe it. So here is the pattern repeated in the life of Joseph, the suffering shepherd. So we're done with three. Got two to go. Abel, Jacob, Joseph. They all tend sheep. They all suffer from their family, rejection, and leave for a while, exile for a period of time, and they all return. Now the fourth link in the messianic chain is Moses. This takes us into the next book. We've been in Genesis for three stories. Now we're going to go to Exodus. And Moses, in chapter 3, verse 1 of Exodus, is told that he, too, tends sheep. And he is a mirror image of Joseph. Let me take a, a, a brief little meander down this trail to show you how much Joseph and Moses are so much alike. For example, here's some thoughts. Joseph and Moses are both recognized by their father and mother at an early age as marked out for a special role and, not coincidentally, both rise to prominence in the court of Pharaoh. 
Both are shepherds who are separated from their families early on when they're just young, but they eventually become shepherds of people. So they shepherd sheep, and then they both shepherd people. They both obtained Egyptian names. They both married daughters of foreign priests. They both had two sons. They both leave Egypt together, one dead and one alive. Joseph and Moses both are commissioned by the Lord to lead and make provision for an unruly people who display a pronounced proclivity to reject their leaders. And both Joseph and Moses are portrayed as saviors, and they save their people by supplying food. Is that, is that it? No, so, <clears throat> like Joseph before him, Moses suffers. You know the story well. He's rejected by who? A fellow Israelite who says, who are you? And he's forced to flee into exile for how long? 40 years, where he does what? He tends sheep. And like Jacob and Joseph, eventually Moses is restored and returns to his people. And what does he bring? Like Joseph and Jacob, he brings his family with him. Now the fifth link is one found in what we would call the books called the prophets. Samuel, 1 Samuel. We've been in the law. Remember Jesus said to Clopas, the law and the prophets basically said that the Messiah has to suffer and then enter his glory. We've been in the law. Now we're going to go to the prophets where we find the story of David. David is also our younger brother, just like Jacob and Joseph. He too is said to tend sheep in two places, 1 Samuel 16, 11 and 17, 34. He too is rejected by his older brothers and his people. And what does he do? He flees into exile, symbolic for death, for a period of time. And eventually he returns alive, returning to his people accompanied by who? Accompanied by his family. So he is the last human figure characterized as a suffering younger shepherd. But there's another David in the Old Testament. I don't know if you were aware of that, but there are two Davids. There's the young David that we're familiar with that I've just spoken about. But according to the prophet Ezekiel, we should look for another David. In Ezekiel, we are told that the Lord made a promise to Israel that he himself would uh, shepherd the flock, that God himself would shepherd the flock. He says, I myself will feed my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will set one shepherd over them, and he will feed them, namely my servant David. He will feed them and will be their shepherd. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> this is Ezekiel. David is dead. He's been buried for generations when Ezekiel said that the future shepherd will be me. God said, and he calls himself David. So on the basis of the promise made to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, the Davidic covenant, the prophet Ezekiel looks forward with hope to the arrival of a future shepherd, a future Davidic king. Uh, John Selhammer uh, really summarizes this thought well. Here are his words. Ezekiel saw a time in Israel's future when they would be regathered from the exile among all the nations and return to the land. 
At that time, God would place his servant David over them as a shepherd and a prince. Undoubtedly, Ezekiel used the notion of the kingship of David as a figure of that Messiah. So, who might that be? Who is that future David who would be the shepherd, but also who would be God himself? Well, let's summarize and recap. We have looked at five suffering shepherds, men in Israel's history, all of them well-known, Abel, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David. They all suffered. They were all rejected. They all suffered exile, and they all returned. They foreshadow, of course, who? The final link in the chain. The portrait of Jesus in the Gospel of John is the climax of the chain of suffering shepherds. Just a few thoughts from Jesus in the Gospel of John. John 10, 1, 8, 1 through 18, tells us that Jesus was a shepherd. Chapter 7, verse 5 says he was rejected by his own family and he was rejected by his people. John 10, 19 through 21. And the rejection by his people ultimately resented resulted in suffering death by crucifixion and temporary exile when he's buried. John 19, 38 to 42. Like his predecessors, Jesus' return from suffering and death as exile was unexpected and a total surprise. But what is a blessing to know is that as a result of his being raised from the dead, Jesus returns to his disciples and for the first time in the Gospel of John, he doesn't call them disciples any longer. He said to Mary, Go tell my brothers and sisters. That's the very first time. In other words, just as Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David returned to their people with their family, Jesus returns from exile with his family, his disciples. They are now his brothers and sisters. Now let's come back to Sunday afternoon of the resurrection in Luke 24. Let's come back there. I'm suggesting that when Jesus took them through the law and the prophets, when he took Clopas and his companion to show them that the Messiah must suffer, that it was a non-negotiable fact that the Messiah of Israel had to suffer, I am confident that he took them through this chain. Why? Because each shepherd suffered before he entered his glory. Both the law, consisting of Abel, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, and the prophets, that's 1 Samuel with the life of David, testified to a chain of suffering shepherds, climaxing in the promise of Ezekiel of the future Davidic shepherd. And there's no doubt that Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of that suffering shepherd. He's born to the house of David in the city of David. Clopas and his companion had heard these stories, I'm sure. I mean, they had been in the synagogue perhaps all their life. Perhaps they had read and heard these connections between these shepherds, but they were slow to believe. And so, as we conclude this particular episode, it would be fair to ask ourselves, so when I read something in Scripture, am I slow to believe or am I quick to believe? And the reason I bring this up at the end is not to be a downer here. It's to see that when we disbelieve, 
what God has said in the scriptures, we set ourselves up for hopelessness and depression and a fall. If Clopas had been and his companion had read the scriptures and believed what they had read, they would have said, okay, yeah, Jesus died. But you know what? He promised that he would return. The scriptures promised that he would return. And that would have given them hope in the midst of tragedy. What better thing to have in the vicissitudes of life is to have hope that God will fulfill his promises. God does not lie. You can depend on what God has said. And when we do that, we prepare ourselves for the tragedies and the disappointments of life. Those promises act like an anchor to our soul. I hope this has been a blessing to you. It's a lot of fun to go through the Bible. I encourage you to do the same and to see what it does for your faith. Let me thank you for listening. And if this is being aired around Good Friday or Easter, happy Easter to you and your family. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.